betrayal is a very painful experience. It's, it's caused by the antithesis of faithfulness. You know, to have a relationship that you can count on, to have a relationship where you're willing to open your heart and be vulnerable requires faithfulness. You have to know that this person is trustworthy. This person is someone that you can count on. And betrayal is its antithesis. It's a, it's a violation of that trust. And what happens is, at its worst, it comes from someone who, whom you should be able to count on. I mean, at its worst, it comes from a parent or a spouse or a, or a child. It comes from a lifelong friend, a mentor, or an employer. And it's, when it happens to you, it's like being stabbed in the back. And what really makes it painful is that it often is unexpected. I mean, up until the moment in which it happens to you, you're depending on that person, you're trusting in that person, you're counting on that person, you're believing in that person, and, and then all of a sudden, they betray you. And I have to tell you, I've had my share of betrayal, and I've had it in some very deeply wounding ways. And I found that the closer and more important the relationship, the more painful the betrayal. And so, though I've had extremely painful experiences with betrayal, I've never had the most painful experiences with betrayal. Because I think that happens in the context of marriage and family. And I, I've never experienced betrayal in that place. Uh, my parents were faithful to each other and to us. And my wife and I have had an experience now of 34 years of marriage where, where though we're certainly flawed and we've messed up, at least that's what she tells me, <laughs> we've been faithful to each other and we've grown in that. Our kids are loyal and an important part of our lives and so I've never experienced it in family life. Some of you haven't been so lucky. Some of you have had the heart ripped out in a relationship that's supposed to be one where your heart is expanded and, and built up. And I only know how painful that kind of betrayal is from watching so many people I deeply care about and as a pastor walking with so many people through the experience. It's absolutely devastating. And many of you could tell me more about it than I'll ever know. Many of you are still experiencing the pain because this isn't a pain that like happens and it's gone. It's not like a, a paper cut. This is something that can become the defining reality of our life. It can become the lens through which we see our lives through. But what's interesting is that we focus on the pain and the pain is significant, but the pain isn't the worst of betrayal. It's not the worst consequence of it. Because, you see, if we're not careful, when we experience betrayal, what happens is we lose our ability, our capacity to trust. And that's the worst of it. Because, you see, when this happens, when we lose our capacity to trust, we begin closing ourselves off to the world. We begin, we begin shutting ourselves in a prison of our own making, isolating ourselves away from everyone else. And without trust... We can't have what God tells us we need most, intimacy. You see, it's not good for us to do life alone. 
And yet so many of us are, even in a crowd, doing life alone because we refuse ever again to open our heart to anyone because it's been too deeply wounded by those we've trusted in the past. We're living in the prison that betrayal erects in our lives. Betrayal leaves us lonely and frustrated and incomplete and empty. It leaves us unable to fulfill the purpose for which we've been designed to live in this world. In fact, it has the potential to fill our lives with, to consume us with anger and bitterness. In fact, it often turns wonderful people into cold, distant, spiteful people, and it turns people who really had good hearts into people who are now simply seeking to hurt others as much as they've been hurt. I mean, betrayal. It's a reality. And for most of you, I don't even have to ask. I know you've experienced it. To varying degrees, we've all experienced it. We all will experience it. In fact, if we're going to really be breaking out, as this series is all about, if we're going to be breaking out of and breaking away from those things that are holding us back from experiencing the freedom Jesus came to give us, we have to deal with this issue of betrayal. And we have to understand this truth. There's nothing we can do to prevent betrayal in our lives. Because to prevent betrayal... You have to be able to control other people, and that's an impossibility. And so in this world where there are other people, people with their own free choice, their own ability to do what they want to do, we will experience betrayal. We can't prevent betrayal in our lives, but we can avoid its prison. We don't have to allow ourselves, when we experience betrayal, to become imprisoned by that frustrated and alone and unable to live out the life that we were designed to live, we can overcome it. And, and God proves this to us time and time again in the story that he unfolds in the Bible. And one great example is seen in a guy named Joseph. Joseph. If you're newer to the Bible, he's, he's kind of recorded in the very first book. It's the easiest book to get to. It's the first one. If you can get past the table of contents, you can get to the book of Genesis, Right? And Joseph is found in in that book. And Joseph is a remarkable guy. He was was the second to youngest son in a very, very large family. He had ten older brothers. And this this family was very, very important to the creation of Israel, God's people. And in fact, the twelve tribes kind of come from his siblings and himself. And, And he, as the eleventh child, interestingly enough, was the favorite child. And the reason is because he was the first child of the woman his dad loved most. She hadn't been able to have a baby for a long time, and, and he loved her most. And then, then came Joseph, and I mean, he just cherished this boy. And you know what happens when there's a favorite among siblings? Yeah, the one who's the favorite is the least favorite among the siblings, And, I mean, Joseph just suffered greatly because of this. And, quite frankly, he deserved some of it. I mean, his dad gave him a coat of many colors. Even if you don't know much about the Bible, you know about this. You've seen Donny Osmond wearing this coat, for goodness sake, right? I mean, the coat of many colors. And and he he bragged about it with his brothers, which really ticked off his his brothers. And, And then he had a dream, and it was really God telling him what his plans were for him, that he was going to be used significantly to make a huge impact in the world, that he was going to become great in human terms, and and that his family actually would need him so much that they would bow down to him. He would be of such a high position. 
And it's weird because in that culture, the, the youngest children bowed down to the oldest children. The oldest children didn't bow down to the youngest, so this was a weird dream. And so imagine the youngest child coming to the oldest who was supposed to be the one getting the respect and saying, this is really cool. You're going to bow down and kiss my ring. You know, it just really didn't bode well for the whole family circumstance. And that's where we pick up the story with Joseph. Look at Joseph chapter, in Genesis chapter 37, verses 26, 28. It says, Judah, his older brother, said to all the other brothers, you know, those ten brothers that were older, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Now, stop. Yeah, I mean, we, we now know what's going on. They're so mad at this guy, so jealous and envious, they're so dysfunctional and distorted that they're talking about killing him. I don't know what kind of family you were raised in. I mean, I know there are some dysfunctional families around here. But if you had siblings plotting to kill you, you really had a rough childhood. And that's what's going on here. But the good news is, even in the worst of families, there's usually someone there to protect us, to help us. And this is who Judah was, but, but it wasn't much help. Because look what he said. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. He says, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to some slave traders. <laughs> what a brother, right? He says, we won't lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers all agreed they'd sell him. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern that they had thrown him in and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. I mean, this, you want to name this story? Betrayal. That's the name. This is betrayal. I mean, his own siblings talking about killing him, but ended up doing the better thing, just sold him into slavery. And there he goes, betrayal. And that wasn't the first betrayal. I mean, it wasn't the last betrayal. It might have been the first, but it wasn't the last, because now he's a slave down in Egypt. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, when things go wrong in our lives, very often we blame God, right? We get so mad at God. We get so mad at the world. We get so mad at those that betrayed us. God could have stopped it if he wanted to, and he didn't. So we push everybody away from our lives, and we start making very negative choices. This wasn't Joseph. Joseph knew it wasn't God, and so Joseph kept worshiping God. Joseph remained loyal to God. Joseph kept trying to line his life up according to God's principles. And so though he was a slave in Egypt... Betrayed by his brothers, he lived the best life he could live. And as a result, he became the, the chief among everyone in his, his owner's household. He became the number one slave. And he was a good-looking guy, the Bible says. And so the master's, his master's wife wanted to sleep with him. And he wasn't going to betray God or betray this guy who had been so good to him. And so he said no. And the woman was so upset by the rejection that she blamed him of rape. And so his owner, even though Joseph was pure and loyal, his owner threw him in prison. Betrayed by his brothers. Betrayed by this guy he had been loyal to. Many of us would just say, who needs this? And we'd start just living a very self-destructive life. But he didn't. He was still loyal to God, and he was still going to do the right thing. So there in prison, he was such a help to the prison warden that he was made the chief among all the prisoners, and he had this position of responsibility. And ultimately, from this betrayal after betrayal after betrayal, ultimately he became the prime minister of Egypt. I mean, it's an impossible story. It's like he became second only to Pharaoh in the superpower nation of the day. And it was exactly what God had promised. He says, I've created you to save many lives. But to, to get on that mountain 
of success, you have to go through the valley of betrayal. And because Joseph went through that valley without erecting prisons and being self-destructive, God was able to use him to save lives. In fact, in the end, he was able to save the lives of his brothers who were willing to take his life. This guy's an amazing dude. You see, he couldn't prevent betrayal. He couldn't stop his brothers from betraying him. He couldn't stop his master from betraying him. He couldn't stop people from within that prison betraying him, if you read the whole story. But, but he could avoid its prison. And even though it put him in a physical prison, he was never in a spiritual prison. He lived freely, and he lived a fulfilling life. And we can do the same. And so here's what I want us to get, because we're going to experience betrayal and we can't prevent it, but if we're not careful, we'll be in a prison of its making. We need to learn from Joseph how to get beyond it. In fact, here's the application. To break out and claim the freedom and fulfillment that Jesus came to give us, we must put betrayal behind us. We're going to experience it. We have to put it behind us. We have to do what Joseph did and respond in a positive way in times of betrayal instead of letting it destroy us. But if we're going to do that, we have to know how to respond. We have to know what to do. And this, this is not something that any one of us can go through life without experiencing. And since I've gone through so much of it, I've had to learn what are the principles for, for being more like Joseph than what I am by nature. And the first thing I found is that if I'm going to put betrayal behind me, if you're going to, then we have to know and resist our natural responses to betrayal. We have some natural responses in life. You know what a natural response is. You know when someone comes by and they kind of pretend they're going to hit you and you, you flinch, that's a natural response. Um, or maybe a more natural response is to boom, you know, I don't know. But there, we have natural responses when people do stuff to us. And the same is true in our lives. When, when we experience betrayal, we have these knee-jerk reactions. And my first one, I'll kind of put them in order for me, my first one is retaliation. Oh, Yeah. That's how it's going to be? You know, boom, I'm going to take you down. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. If it's possible, this is God talking now, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, in this world where you people are going to betray you, as far as it depends on you, when it comes to your choices, live at peace with everyone. I hate that verse. I hate it. But you know what God's saying? Saying, if you don't choose to do that, what you're going to do is you're going to choose your own destruction. You're going to choose prison instead of freedom. Make the choices to do what Joseph did, to, to, to live at peace with everyone, even when others don't choose to try and live at peace with you. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I'll repay. Leave retaliation in God's hands. Leave justice in God's hands. You just trust him. That's what Joseph did. And so since I know my knee-jerk reaction to someone betraying me is to just, oh, I have to... I have to learn to resist that. I have to know it's coming. There's another natural response that people have to, to betrayal, and it's, it's denial. It's denial. They, they literally live in relationships and exist in places where they're being betrayed all the time, but to cope with it, instead of confronting it and dealing with it, to cope with it, they just deny it. 
A great example of this is found in a guy named Samson in the Bible. You can read the whole story in Judges 16, verses 4 through 21. But Samuel was a, a guy who had been given extraordinary physical strength by God. I mean extraordinary, miraculous physical strength. And he was defeating God's enemies with this physical strength. And so the enemies wanted to get to him. And, and Samson had some natural weaknesses. One of them was lust. And, you know, he really needed to be here last weekend for the talk that we did. And, and it came a little bit too late for him. But he had a real problem. And he fell in love with the wrong woman. Her name was Delilah. And this, this woman, Delilah, was from the country of his enemies. And she really was out to get him, not to help him, but he didn't see it. And she was asking, what's your source of strength? So that she could then tell the warriors in her particular people group uh, how to defeat him. And so she'd go, hey, you know, tell me, come on, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me. By the way, when they start putting on that pouty face and they put their lips out, guys, really, that's time not to be listening, okay? But that, she was pouting all over the guy. And he... He kind of suspected something, so he told her a lie. And sure enough, she told his enemies, and they came and they tried to defeat him based on that lie. And because it was a lie, he defeated them still. It wasn't the source of his power. She did it again, he did it again, she did it again, he did it again, she did it again, he did it again. By this time, he should have known, she's going to take me down if I tell her the truth. But you know what he did? He ultimately told her the truth. What did she do? She took him down. He literally then ended up unbelievably defeated because he lived in denial. I don't think she'll really do it. I don't think she'll really do it. I don't think she'll take me down. I don't think this is betrayal. I think she loves me. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. And we do the same thing. We live in denial. We have to understand that that's a tendency we have, and we need to resist it because you can't overcome betrayal by pretending it's not there. There's another natural response we human beings have, and it's just flat-out bitterness and anger. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, because it's self-destructive. It puts you in a prison. We've also talked about adversity and how that puts us in a prison cell. And, and we have to overcome that, but it's a natural response. And so we have to learn to resist it. And then there's one that many of you take. When you're experiencing betrayal and someone's hurting you profoundly, what you do is you go into isolation. Your natural response is to pull away. And this is really a prison because you can't experience intimacy or closeness or relationship. And even if you're in the proximity of other people, you're so closed off you can't really know them and they can't know you. Look what God says about this in Hebrews 10.25. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. We need each other. And many of us are in the prison of isolation because that's our natural response to being hurt. We're not going to let anyone hurt us again. We'll never let anyone close enough to dagger us again. And if that's your natural response, you need to resist it or else you will be building a prison around yourself that keeps you from really living. If we're going to ultimately put betrayal behind us, then not only do we have to learn to deal with what's happened, but we also have to try and do our best at decreasing the probability of being betrayed. I think a lot of people experience betrayal because they're not wise or discerning about the people they are willing to do relationships with. And this is a principle that I've had to learn. We have to be wise and discerning about the people we're going to trust. 
We have to be wise and discerning about the people we're going to trust. And much of my betrayal that I've experienced in life has come at the hands of people that I've invited in very, very close and given significant influence with and, and have been doing mission with here at Northridge. And they have proven not worthy of that trust. It was really ultimately, though I can't totally prevent it, though I can't totally overcome it, it was in a sense a problem with my wisdom and my discernment. Discernment. I was, I was selecting the wrong people to trust. Look at Proverbs fourteen fifteen. A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Simple man just you know trusts anyone, but a prudent man, you know, gives thought to it, is careful about it. And I've learned in life that I can't do anything of significance alone. I can't experience love in my life alone. I can't experience the beauty of family alone. I can't experience the beauty of what God wants to do in, in his spiritual family alone. It takes people. I've, I've been called to be the senior pastor here, but one person can do nothing. It takes a multitude. It takes a, a community. It takes team. And so I have to have people close and who are carrying the burden with me. But, but my tendency has been that because people have betrayed me and have broken trust and hurt me profoundly, my tendency is to not want to be vulnerable with anybody anymore, not to trust anybody anymore. Isn't that yours? But that means that we never really live. And so I've had to overcome that. And one of the ways I've overcome it is by, by trying to follow God's wisdom and discernment as it relates to who I'll invite close to me to trust and so I've kind of developed some principles that work that I've learned from others the first is I have to be selective you have to be selective and I have to tell you this is a problem in in our lives very often I've watched some of you how you choose a mate you'd be better off just throwing the dice than the way you're doing it I mean really it's just crazy Went to Las Vegas, got drunk, met this chick, and Elvis married us. It was awesome. Really? I mean, I know most of you haven't done it that way, but it's like, be selective. It's crazy to me. And then, and then begin with a limited amount of trust. You don't say, good looking, here you are. You know, it's like, begin with a limited amount of trust. I've, it's, this is true in every relationship now. It's like, I'm, I'm going to trust you to a limit. And, and what I have to do is I have to decide what's the suitable risk I'm willing to take. I'm not going to stake my whole life on trusting someone I don't know. I'm going to stake a little thing on that and take a suitable risk because if they break trust, if they prove to be untrustworthy and unfaithful, I don't want it to destroy who I am and what God's used me to build and my relationships and my life and my own ability to trust. And so I'm going to take suitable risks. And then I'm going to assess their trustworthiness at every level. Each time I take a little risk and give a limited amount of trust, I'm going to back up and I'm going to say, how, how is it going so far? So if I can give you application, let's use Samson with Delilah again. This is an easy one. He wasn't very selective, first of all, right? He wasn't very selective. Second of all, he, he wasn't very smart because he gave her a little bit of trust. He says, I'm, I'm going to tell you a lie about where my power comes from and see what you do with it. I'm going to give you a limited trust. It's a suitable risk. It's a lie. You can't do anything with that. And what did she do? She broke trust. And then he did it again, and she did it again, then he did it again, she did it again. You know what he failed to do? He failed to assess her trustworthiness. 
Because even though he had all the information he needed to avoid her betraying him and hurting him, what did he do? He gave her the full dose of trust and she gave him the full dose of betrayal. And so what we need to do if we're going to really build the right kind of relationships, we're selective, we give limited trust, take suitable risks, we assess the trustworthiness and we open ourselves up gradually so that ultimately we have something that's very, very strong. This happened with Roxanne and myself. I mean, we, we didn't just start out all in. We, we, we followed this process. And now, after 34 years of marriage, we're fully open to one another because we've learned we can trust each other. This is a big deal. And, and here's what I have to tell you about this relationship I have with my wife. It gives me confidence and the courage to take risks in trusting other people because I've learned from Roxanne that there are people you can trust. There really are. In spite of the fact that I've been betrayed by a lot of people, there are people you can trust and, and she's given me the confidence that there are those people and it's worth taking risks for. And there's something else because I've found that because of my relationship with someone who I can trust, when I take the risk and someone betrays me, I still have this other relationship that's there giving me strength and encouragement, someone to fall back on. Do you know what I'm saying? And this is why the best starting point for building a relationship of trust, the best starting point for experiencing life as it was meant to be, the best starting point is found in trusting God. Because you see, what I have found in my wife as two human beings who have slowly become more and more trustworthy in each other's lives all of us can find instantly with God because God is absolutely trustworthy. God can always be counted on. And when we have a relationship with him, we can take the risk to start trusting other people because even if they betray us, he's always there, loving us, holding us up, there for us, caring about us, guiding us. I mean, the best starting point to be building the right kind of relationship, to be putting betrayal behind us, is to start trusting God. But let's be honest, this is hard for many of us. Now listen, because this is important. The best starting place to be putting betrayal behind you is by trusting God, but if we're honest, when we experience pain in our lives, we tend to feel like God is the one betraying us. He's the one letting us down. He's the one that we can't count on. He's the one breaking his promises. He's the one not living up to his end of the bargain. We kind of think that if, if we're faithful to him, he's supposed to prevent any valleys from coming into our lives. If we're like Joseph, we're supposed to think, you know, if, if I'm faithful to you, God, then you won't let my brothers betray me and you won't let Potiphar throw me in prison and you won't let any bad thing happen. But as we learn from Joseph, that's not true. You can be unbelievably faithful to God and God can be unbelievably faithful to you and you're still going to experience betrayal. But many of us can't go to the one place we have to go to put betrayal behind us to trust in God because we feel like he's the problem. And when he's the problem, we actually have no solution. And because this is so real and so many of us live there, we thought it was important to to share a story that could help you relate to it. A modern-day Joseph. This is Elizabeth's story. Nathan and I met in high school. We were probably about 15 at that time, and we were inseparable. We kind of just became those two. It was just a package deal. 
We continued dating all through high school, even through college. And after college, he joined the Army National Guard and he went through basic training and I wrote him letters every single day. Then when he came out of basic, we were just closer than ever. Things started getting a lot more serious at that point. He was kind of getting things ready for his deployment and so we started talking, you know, what does that mean for us? What would I do? I just couldn't imagine my life without him in it. We were going to get engaged and we were gonna get married. We kind of just knew, like, we were meant for each other. One day, uh, Nathan was taking his bike down to switch with the car that he was driving. He's got his helmet on and he's standing in the hallway and he grabbed me up in this big hug and he said, you look so beautiful today, I love you. And he asked for a kiss through the helmet, of course. So I kissed him on the helmet. He left and I went to work and I got a phone call and it said his name on it and I thought it was kind of peculiar. So I stepped outside to call him back. And when I did, um, a police officer answered the phone. And he said, Elizabeth, Nathan's been in an accident. I said, okay, um, is he all right? What's going on? And he said, he hit some gravel and the bike slid and he flew over the handlebars. He said, the EMTs found a heartbeat. They're taking him to U of M hospital. That's all the information that I really have right now. We got to the hospital and we ran through the parking lot. We walked in the room and he was laying on the bed. And he didn't have any tubes in him or any cords or anything. He just looked asleep and his mom and dad and his older brothers were there they were crying so loud and I grabbed his hand and he was freezing cold it's something that just hits you and you can't breathe or think you don't even want to believe that you're awake I went from having everything that every little girl dreams about, you know, this amazing, strong superhero of a man and this picture-perfect future in front of me, and then it was gone. Instantly. I didn't understand how someone who was so good and who made such a positive impact deserves to die so young, and, um... I felt like I kind of got cheated out of my life. I had such a trust in God and his plan for me. And when Nathan died, I, I felt incredibly betrayed and I felt like God kind of wasn't there for a minute. I didn't want to be at church. I didn't want to come and praise and thank. I couldn't really get past the fact that I felt like I had been so immensely let down. If you would have asked me, I would have told you I was just fine. I would have said I'm doing great. You know, miss him, but I'm doing fine, doing good. 
I would never have told you it sucks and I wake up crying a lot and you know I feel pretty lost and alone. I talked to my family and um, we kind of decided that I would go and talk to a counselor and so I told her my story and then at the end she started crying and she was like you know I think you must have been brought here for a reason because when I was about your age I went through the exact same thing and all I could think is you know what God had some kind of crazy plan going because there had to have been some reason that out of every person I could have gone to talk to I found my way to this woman that's probably about the time when I started kind of really listening again and really just trusting that there is still a plan for me it's incredible it changes everything to put betrayal behind us we have to realize that no matter how it feels how painful how distant God feels it's impossible for him to betray us it's impossible because unlike us he's always faithful the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament was a man who experienced tragedy after tragedy, loss after loss, all of his dreams being dashed against the rocks of reality. And He actually wrote a book called Lamentations. It was lamenting the sorry state of the world, the betrayals that he experienced in life. But he ultimately came to this conclusion in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, his great love, unlike ours, because of his love, we're not consumed for his compassions. Never fail. His love, unconditional, new every morning. And then these were the four words that became the foundational reality of his life, and it needs to become the foundational reality of ours. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, God. For Elizabeth to go from the depths of despair to dancing on the stage this weekend is a great example of the power of God's faithfulness. When she realized that God hadn't betrayed her, that he was still loving and guiding that he still had plans for her life. She was able to walk out of the prison that she had been in and live again. And we need to realize the same thing because we can't prevent betrayal. We're going to experience it. But we have to understand in those times of betrayal, God isn't the betrayer. God hasn't been unfaithful. God is still working and still walking with us. God is still loving us and guiding us. God still, as he did with Joseph, had a plan. It's just that sometimes he has to use people's betrayals to get us to his great promises. God can always be trusted. In fact, trusting him is the only way we can ultimately put betrayal behind us. Joseph, this young man who experienced so much betrayal 
only experienced freedom and fulfillment because he never stopped trusting God. In fact, his brothers came once he was prime minister of Egypt, right? He could have, he literally, he had the power to kill them. He had the power to imprison them forever. He had the power to say, no, you can't have food and provision and you're just going to go off and die. He had the power to destroy their lives, but he instead forgave them and provided for them and gave them a great life. And look what he said to them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended your betrayal for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. Because of him trusting God, he realized that their betrayal put him in a place to be their provider. What an amazing deal. Do you know why so few of us ever experience the dreams God creates for us? Because we build ourselves a prison because of the experiences we're having and we fail to do the one thing we have to do to experience God's best. Trust him. Trust him. There's another great story of, of a couple of ladies who, like Elizabeth, could have easily decided that God was their betrayer but they didn't. And I'll just pick it up in John chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's an important sentence. Jesus loved them profoundly. Yet, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, and as it turns out, he was fatally sick, terminally sick. He was going to die immediately. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't go to be with him. He didn't go to help him. He stayed where he was two more days. And Mary and Martha could have been absolutely angry at him and bitter towards him and rejected him in their lives because he had betrayed his love, but they didn't. They were more like Joseph. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She didn't lose faith in him, trust in him. She never doubted who he really was, and Jesus said to her, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, and Jesus said to her, I am that resurrection, the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me, keeps trusting in me, will live even when they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This isn't double talk. This is the real deal. He's saying there's far more to life than this physical life that we have. And when you trust in me, even when this body lays down and dies, you're still living. Do you believe in that? You can experience what seems to be the worst betrayal in the world. God allowing you to die. But when you really understand God, you realize that's no betrayal at all. It's the gift of life, eternal life. And to prove it, he did something extraordinary. He then says, so you know that Lazarus isn't dead? So you know that he's still living? Lazarus, come forth. And you know, Lazarus walked out of the grave. Freak city. I mean, it was a weird day. On this day, the only one that felt betrayed was Lazarus. He was partying in heaven, and God said, hey, I need you to come back on earth for a while. And he's going, no, I don't want to be with those sisters anymore. You know, it was like, it, I'm just telling you, Jesus makes it clear, even when you're experiencing what seems to be the great betrayal, it's no betrayal at all. Because God can only be faithful. We have to keep trusting him. Are you? If we're going to put betrayal behind us instead of building a prison to keep us trapped, 
We have to learn to forgive and let go. And we can forgive and we can let go when we're trusting God. That's what Joseph did. Joseph said, you were doing it to hurt me, but God was doing it to help you. And so I can forgive you. Here's the deal. Our natural reactions to betrayal, you know, anger and bitterness and retaliation and isolation, what it, what it does, it hardens our hearts. It robs us of our capacity to trust. It robs us of our ability to love, to experience intimacy. We, we instead are trapped in the prison of isolation. But forgiveness brings healing into our lives. Forgiveness keeps our hearts soft when we forgive someone, we let go of the right to destroy them, to betray them, and we let go of our anger and our fear and our bitterness, and we begin opening ourselves up again. We begin to trust again. We need to be like Joseph. We need to be like Mary and Martha. We need to be like Elizabeth. Of course, this kind of forgiveness is only learned through experiencing God's forgiveness. Look at Ephesians 4.32. says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We need to realize that God understands betrayal. Not only was Jesus betrayed by every single person he invested in on earth, but in truth, every single one of us has betrayed him in one way or another. I mean, we've turned away from him and his love. We've sinned against him. We've decided to build our own kingdom instead of serving his kingdom, and yet he remains faithful to us. He remains loving towards us. He's, he's already, if I can use the song that we did during Elizabeth's dance, he's already said something. We're screaming out, say something, say something. He's already said something. He said, I've so loved you that I've sent my son to pay the price for your guilt, to pay the penalty for your sin. I've loved you so much that I've, I've raised him from the dead so that he can give you the gift of new life. Here's what he said, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our junk and all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has said something. We're telling him, say something. I'm giving up on you. He's already said something. But this shows the difference, you see. We say, say something. I'm giving up on you. But you know, he's up there now saying, I've already said something. Now it's, turn, it's your turn to say something. But then he says this, but don't worry, I'll never give up on you. Right now he's knocking on the door of your life and he's saying, say something. Confess your sins. Come to me. Experience my love so that I can forgive you. And I believe many of us right now could walk out of the prison of our own making if we just gave him our junk and put our trust in him. So before I give you the last principle, I'm going to encourage you to just pray with me. In fact, before I lay down this last principle, if you just bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment, if you're here and you've never experienced the cleansing power of Jesus' forgiveness. You've never started trusting him. This is your moment to say something. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to take the words of my prayer and make them the expression of your heart. Just say to God, God, I've been trying to live without you. I've been betraying you, sinning against you. 
and I'm sorry. Jesus, you died on the cross to forgive my sin. I'm trusting you to forgive me. You rose again to give me new life, and I'm trusting you to give me that new life. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before I give you the last principle, if you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you to let me know. I mean, it's a huge encouragement for me to know when someone's been impacted by one of these talks, but more than that, we've put together information to help you take next steps in your relationship with God, and we want to get it to you. So if you're in one of our live services at Northridge Church, we're one church in three locations, just take out the program that we gave you, rip out the connection card, and fill it out. And on the bottom, in that orange bar across, it says, today I prayed to receive Jesus. Check that circle off. And as you're leaving our service, there are boxes at every single exit outside the auditorium. Throw it in there, and we'll give you some some next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, just hit the What Next button on your tablet or computer, and we'll do the same for you. But here's the last principle. If we're going to really put betrayal behind us, then once we deal with other people's betrayal of us, we need to start working on our betrayal of others. If we're going to put betrayal behind us, we must make sure that we never play the betrayer's role. Because when we betray someone else, it's like building a prison to keep us trapped away from God's freedom. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend is faithful always, can always be counted on. If we're going to truly experience freedom from betrayal, we have to put betrayal behind us. We have to stop betraying others. So two thoughts. The first is this. If you have ever betrayed someone, you need to get it right. You need to get it right. Because I believe many of us are sitting in the prison cell with betrayal as its title. Because we've betrayed someone else and we're still haunted by the guilt and the darkness and the despair of that. Imagine how Joseph's brothers felt. You read the story. When they realized he was alive, it just proved they had been haunted by it and haunted by it and haunted by it. And now they were in fear and anxiety and guilt. They needed to get it right. So do we. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You know what I'm saying? If you're pursuing a loving relationship with God and you've betrayed someone and you've got problems with another relationship, get that right before you pretend that you're doing something special in your relationship with me. I believe many of us are not experiencing the freedom Jesus came to give us because we haven't gotten right some betrayal we've committed in someone's life. And there's one last thought. Going to get beyond betrayal? Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee the evil desires of your youth. Flee those things which are contrary to God and pursue righteousness, right living, faith, love, peace, along with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You need to start living differently. You need to start making positive choices. And so here's the bottom line. If you're going to put betrayal behind you, you have to stop betraying. 
So if you're in the process of betraying someone right now, and I know for a fact someone who's listening to this talk now is in the process of betraying someone, process of breaking a promise, the process of being unfaithful, the process of stabbing them back, the process of destroying their trust. If you're in the process of betraying someone right now, stop now. And here's why. Through that process of betraying them, you are building a prison that will keep you from Jesus' freedom and keep them from Jesus' freedom. And it's destroying you, not helping you. And so what you do is you tear down the prisons by getting betrayals right and by not betraying again and by living this way. You know the truth and the truth sets you free. Let's break out. Let's get away from those things holding us back and let's live the life that Jesus called us to. See you next time. Thanks, everybody.